You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, we continue our Church Word series with a message from Pastor Tom Wood about the Church Word ministry. Let's check it out. Uh, good morning, Word of Life. So glad that you're able to come and spend this part of your weekend with us. I hope you've been made to feel welcome and that you're glad to be here because we are certainly glad that you are a part of church service with us this morning. Um, as already been mentioned, next week is a big weekend in the life of Word of Life um, as we pray for and we honor and we show due respect to Pastor Mike and Ann Chiz. And so, um, absolutely. So as um, Pastor Mike and Anne, they're founding members of the church. They've been here for, I believe, 41 years. Um, Pastor Mike's brother, Randy, as many of you will know, um, with his wife, Mary Ann, they pastored the church here for 29 years. And some of the parting, I don't want to say commandments, that seems pretty strong, but essentially commandments Pastor Randy gave to me was, you have to make sure Word of Life continues to be a church that gets behind missions. I was like, sure, no problem. He said, the second thing, you have to keep giving my brother a hard time. And it's been an honor and a privilege. I promised Mike, I promised him. I was like, on on that Sunday, on May 7th, I'm not going to make any jokes about you. I'm not going to give you any grief or any problems. Mike said, there's no way you can do it. He knows I'm too childish for that. But that's a promise, and I'm going to stick to it. But that's next week, not this week. Mike does not like me saying he's retiring. I don't know why. He's old, he's moving down south, (laughs) and he's not going to be gainfully employed. What else do you want me to say, Mike? (laughs) Anyway, it's only funny because Mike is literally the best person ever. Um, And I really mean that, Mike. You're the best. So... He's also lazy and dishonest, and he's annoying to have around. My gosh. Anyway, um, so we are, uh, we've sort of, I don't even know how to quite say it, but probably about two years ago, we kind of started this whole idea of church words, and we spent a period of time looking at different words that you wouldn't hear in a normal everyday conversation, but in a church environment or a conversation around the things of faith is, you know, these words come up, and so we just sort of spent some time looking at these words, and there's been a few times since then we've kind of picked the series up, and last week we spent time looking at the word blessed, and this week we're going to be looking at the word ministry. Now, ministry is a very churchy word, and in essence, it describes the activity and the work within a church or within a faith-based context. Around church, you'll hear us say things like, we have a kids' ministry or we have a youth ministry. Christians will often say that they believe that they are called into the ministry. We might even describe times of praying for each other as ministry time. If something is helpful, we might say, it ministered to me Um, on some legal paperwork. um, My role as a pastor here at the church, I have to define it as being a minister. And the word ministry, it describes activity. The word ministry, it doesn't talk about uh, something that's theoretical or an idea or a concept, but it describes action. And here, a word of life, we are a busy church. We're active. We have stuff going on. Our calendar is pretty packed. Typically, in this building and also South Campus where our kids' ministry is happening right now, there's normally something happening within these four walls seven days a week. And we would describe all of that as ministry. 
Now I'm trying to get ready for today and try to sort of consider this word with the whole church and how we use that word in 21st century American churches. It led me to a question of why do we do any of this? Why are we busy and active with ministry? If ministry is the the things that churches do, if ministry is the the activity and the action and the stuff that churches do, and ministry is the thing that we pack our calendars with, and it's the stuff that we schedule and we plan for, and it's the things that we do, it's things that we consume ourselves with, why do we do any of it? And that question led me to this passage in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So here we have Paul. And he describes the, the activity that he's a part of, that he's busy with in his life and his work as, a, as an apostle and a leader in the early church. He's calling it and he's describing it to the church in Corinth as the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation, it speaks to repairing the broken relationship between God and people. Reconciliation speaks to lost people finding their way or hurting broken people finding hope. People that are devastated by life, finding out that there is more to live for. It's reconciliation. People that are trapped in sin and are believing the lies of the world, that they can find joy again and they can find the joy of repentance because of this ministry of reconciliation. And this is why we, Word of Life, and churches all over the world are busy and active with ministry. It's because God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. We are a church that is committed to being a part of reconciling people to God through Christ. The ministry of reconciliation means helping people find life in Jesus, that they don't have to have their sins counted against them anymore, that the old can be gone and done with and dealt with, and they can embrace wholeheartedly the new that God has for them. That's what it means to have the ministry of reconciliation. A ministry, in essence, the the word, and if you start looking into the the Greek of all this, you really find that essentially, in its essence, ministry is serving. Like many words that are currently churchy or religious words um, or terms that we would use in a church context, words that we've looked at even in this church word series, for the New Testament authors, they were using ordinary words and they were attaching them to spiritual ideas. And this word ministry is no different. The word, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation and my dad's going to let me know about it. Ministry in the Greek is diakoneo. I think I got it okay. Diakoneo in the New Testament Greek. It describes serving or attending to the needs of others. The word as I read this week is often used in regular day-to-day environments. This word diakoneo, it would describe the serving of waitstaff or shopkeepers to people. It would describe servants in a wealthy home. It would describe government officials who are described as serving the population. It's also the same Greek word that's used to describe the angels tending to Jesus after his 40-day fast in the desert. What's helpful for us to take note of today is that this whole notion of ministry, it's active. The whole notion of ministry is that it's active. It's not something we can just theorize about. It's not just something we can talk about. It's not just something we can exchange ideas about. No, 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 there's action to this. There's motion to this. And it's a motion and it's action and it's active through serving. So what do we mean when we say the word ministry? 
The best definition I could think of this week as I spent time sort of preparing to hopefully bring something helpful today is that ministry is the activity of believers that helps people live in a restored relationship with God and serving others so they can endure the hardships of life. The activity of believers that helps people live in a restored relationship with God and serving others so they can endure the hardships of life. So back to my question, why do we do any of this? Why are we busy and active with ministry? Why don't we just find a quiet place somewhere, have a meeting once a week or maybe even once a month? Why don't we just call that church? Why don't we just kind of calm it all down? Why is there this strong call for reconciliation to God? Why is there this sense of urgency? Why is this, you're such an active church? Simply put, because people need help. This message of reconciliation is as relevant and as important today as it has ever been in all of human history. This verse from Ephesians speaks to the urgency behind the need for reconciliation. Ephesians 4, 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this. I love the way Paul says, with the Lord's authority, there is no higher appeal Paul can put. I am saying this, and I believe I am saying it with God's approval. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Simply put, don't live like the rest of the world is living, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, Paul the apostle, he isn't known for pulling punches, and he certainly doesn't hear. But this was written 2,000 years ago. But surely you can see the relevance for today. Let's just revisit what we read. We talked about people being hopeless, people being confused, minds being full of darkness, people wandering through life. We have read about closed minds and hard hearts, people living with no sense of shame and living for lustful pleasure and eager to practice every kind of impurity. Wouldn't a simple moment of reflection, just a simple moment of reflecting on those words show that all of these things are not only prevalent in the world today, but they have compounded in the last 20 years. Now we could easily get angry and confused and frustrated, and I promise, I fall into that trap all the time. But we can also see that this, this environment that we're in right now is the perfect environment for the message of Jesus. There are hurting people that are struggling. There are people that feel lost and alone. And we have the message of the greatest love humanity can ever know. God's answer to all of this is the ministry of reconciliation. God's answer to this is to offer another way. The next verse, verse 20, it says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. There's a different way in him. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. There is a different way. The message of Jesus is not doom and gloom and a call to misery. It's the promise of life, true life, eternal life. It's the promise of peace and joy. The message of Jesus is the invitation to let go of the past and all the things that devastate and destroy our lives. It's the promise of purpose and fulfillment. The hope and prayer and belief is that all the activity, all the ministry will help people find the different way that Jesus promises. There's a verse that... I've been sharing repeatedly over the last few months. It's stuck with me and I cannot shake it off. So I'm gonna read it one more time. Matthew 11:28. 28. Then Jesus said, 
Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The ministry of reconciliation, that chance to repair our broken relationship with God, it addresses our deepest needs. One of the songs we sang today in worship, um, it's a well-known song, very popular song, So Will I. And um, I love it when the worship team does that song. I also hate it when the worship team does that song because it makes me ugly cry every time. Um, some people, when they cry, they're like stoic and dignified, like just a, a few tears. No, not, that's, that's not the British way. Um, I'm talking shoulders shaking, snot. Oh. Like, in my opinion, and it is just my opinion, if you're crying properly, the people behind you shouldn't know you're crying. In church, the people behind me definitely know I'm crying. But this passage, that invitation, it means so much to me. And one of the lines from the song, it, it echoes this thought. It's towards the end of the song, and it says... I can see your heart eight billion different ways, which of course is the population of the world. I can see your heart eight billion different ways, a precious child whose life you came to save. I told you it was ugly, but... If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. I've read this verse a lot to the church lately, but it's so important because this is the open invitation from Jesus to come to him. Now that invitation as true as it was thousands of years ago, is just as true today. It's the promise and it's the invitation to find rest for our soul. That's why we're active and busy in ministry. Ministry is the activity of believers that helps people live in a restored relationship with God that helps people find that invitation to Jesus and do everything we can to help people make that invitation and take that invitation and receive that invitation and serving others so they can endure the hardships of life. It's to help people overcome the hopelessness and the wandering through life and being confused and having a mind full of darkness and a hard heart that we read about from Ephesians a moment ago. It's about helping people overcome having a closed mind and a hard heart towards God. And we want people to find true rest for their soul. And I ask you, is, is this whole idea, as a church, is this just a nice sounding thing? Is this just some nice sounding verses from the Bible? Or is this real life? If you're unsure if this is real life, my invitation to you is ask people. Ask people around the church. Get to know someone and just ask, what, what's your response to this? How did you first come to faith? What has your life of faith been like? And I'm certain you'll find people happy to tell you what Jesus has done in their life. It's been kind of interesting to me as I'm kind of following, you know, different people online and I'm trying to sort of follow, you know, different things that are happening and listening to different voices and commentators and all the rest of it, I'm hearing more and more people who do not share our faith in Jesus. 
recommending people go to church. I find that absolutely fascinating to me, that there seems to be more and more voices that I'm hearing from, people that do not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe that, and yet they are telling people, they are telling the people that are following them online, on YouTube or on Instagram or wherever, and they're telling people, hey, you should go to church. The only way I can make sense of it is that they understand the need for the fruit, but they may not understand what the tree is. But it's fascinating to me that there seems to be this call of, okay, those church people, they've got something. Historically, when as a culture we have been more involved in church and statistically more people have been connected to faith, there's been a fruit that's missing in the world today. Instead, we have confusion. Instead, we have people going through life hopelessly. Instead, we have people wandering. We need to start getting back is what the call is coming, not from Christians, not from preachers, but from people trying to give social commentary. And for us, Maybe just being able to tell our story that this is not just a theory. This is real life change. This is honest to goodness life change that can happen when we accept the invitation from Jesus. Now, if I was sitting in a pew listening to a sermon like this on the importance of ministry, I would start to think to myself, okay, they're going to start asking for volunteers any second now. Now, we hope... It's obvious that we want every person who calls World of Life their church to find a ministry, be on a team, be a part of something. Not simply to get stuff done, but also to build community. But our theme for the year, which needs to be more important, our theme needs to be more important than the banners and the t-shirts and everything else that says, be on Sunday. That's our theme for the year, be on Sunday. And it needs to be more than just a banner or a t-shirt. Beyond Sunday is this idea that our faith cannot be constrained and cannot be confined to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. I love coming to church. I look forward to coming to church every week. I love it. But this is not it. This is not the beginning or the end of our faith. This is church. It's important. It's great. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're here next week. But there's got to be more. Our faith has got to be more than an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. So when we put to the church beyond Sunday, that's the heart of what we were talking about. The call to beyond Sunday is not a plug to sign up for a team. It's much more than that. It's to see our relationship with God be much bigger than being part of a weekly service. The time we gathered here, it's valuable, it's important. But our faith is the most foundational part of our lives. An illustration that I've shared before is that it, there's a temptation, at least for me, to try and prioritize my life as almost like a list. And you put the most important thing at the top. So, you know, we all understand that we're supposed to have our faith at the top, and that's first and foremost. And so that's number one. And then you try and figure out what number two, three, four, and five are from there. A more helpful way for me to think about this in my life is rather than a list from top to bottom is rather like a solar system. So in the middle of the solar system, of course, we have the sun. But if you kind of put God there, and then everything else is just orbiting and rotating around that. So if God is in the middle, he's in the center, he's in that top spot, and then, of course, my marriage is the biggest planet, and then being a father is a big planet, and, you know, being a part of a church is a big planet, and living in Baldwinsville, planet, being a part of church staff is a planet, and, you know, I, my, my son on the autism spectrum means that I spend a lot of time with special needs parents, that's a planet, and all, every aspect of my life is a planet rotating around the sun, every aspect of our lives rotating around God. Not a single thing that makes up our life, not a single role that we play, not a single responsibility that we have not represented in being rotating around God. I read this past week that Pluto, which is not even considered a planet anymore, 
It also means that the acronym and the song that I learned in middle school is no longer relevant, but Pluto was discovered in 1930, and it was downgraded to a dwarf planet in 2006. Since it's been discovered almost 100 years ago now, Pluto has not made a full rotation around the sun. That means that Pluto is slow and tiny. You and I, we have slow and tiny, seemingly insignificant things in our lives. But Pluto, no matter how slow or how tiny or however it's classified, it still rotates around the sun. Every single aspect of our lives should be rotated and anchored and orbiting around God and who he is. <clears throat> now, as soon as preachers talk like this, about 90% of the congregation suddenly gets weary. Is he going to start telling us to be crazy, raving, Bible-quoting nutters at work? The honest answer is, if I thought that would help people find reconciliation with God, then the answer would be yes. But I'm not sure that is effective. So a question we should ask ourselves, how can we be faithful and effective beyond Sunday in each and every area of my life? How can I see every area of my life as a chance for ministry? This doesn't come with a one-size-fits-all solution, and we don't need to necessarily squeeze into a box. But I read something helpful by a guy called Christopher Wright, who's British, which means you know you can trust him. And this is some of what I read from him this past week. We're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. That's something I heard often as a young Christian. The point of it was that although some Christians are specially gifted for evangelistic ministry, not all are. However, even those of us who are not called to be evangelists are all called to be faithful witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be willing to speak up for him when opportunities arise. The mission of God's people is not a matter of how great we are doing at things for God, but a matter of how patient and persistent God is in doing the things through us. We are to be a people committed to blessing others, walking in the way of the Lord, doing righteousness and justice, working for holistic, redemptive blessing for the oppressed, and representing God by living lives of practical holiness in the midst of the world. God longs to draw people to himself. God seeks the lost, invites the strangers to come home. But a primary means that he does so is by living in the midst of his own people in such a way that they attract others. Part of the mission of God's people is to have God so much at the center of who they are and what they do that there is a centripetal force, God's own gravitational pull that draws people into the sphere of his blessing. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. And whether it's a Sunday service, whether it's all the ministry that we accomplish through the week, the different missionaries that we support, and whether it's organized and structured ministry or it's believers just living out their faith wherever God has them beyond Sunday, it's all to help people. And remember our definition that ministry is the activity of believers that helps people live in a restored relationship with God and serving others so they can endure the hardships of life. An illustration that I first saw in Australia is a pastor that I sort of saw share this, and it was so impactful that I've shared it a number of times and will certainly share it again at a later time. But if you guys want to put up the scale that we have, and um, if you see this, you've got um, a scale from negative 10 to positive 10. In the middle, you've got zero. 
Now, please don't get wrapped up in the numbers of this. It's just a conceptual picture to help us grasp a concept. But for the sake of the illustration, if we can think that zero is the point where someone makes that first initial decision to follow Jesus. At zero is when someone says, yes, I'm done living life my own way. I'm putting my faith and trust and confidence in Jesus. I'm following you with everything. That's zero. And then we progress all the way through 10. Now, of course, we all know that we're never going to get to 10. But then if you also go the other side of that and you think the negative 10, and let's just say that this is the person that is as far away from God as you can possibly imagine. Now, again, this is just for concept, but the person that's as far away from God as possible, someone that's angry at God, angry at church, is actively working against the church, is trying to disrupt the ministry of the church, or, you know, the absolute polar opposite of someone that is a believer, someone that is as far away from God as possible, that would be a negative 10. Now, if someone that hates God, hates Christians, is angry at God, angry at believers, if through the ministry, and they, let's say they work with somebody that is a believer, and the believer consistently shows kindness, not fake, surface, sugary kindness, but true, honest to goodness, I, am, I have a care and concern for your well-being, and that kindness comes repeatedly. I don't think it's out of the realm of imagination that that person who's a negative 10, hates God, hates Christians, they might sort of get to a negative 8. Now, they haven't reached zero yet, they're not saved, but isn't that a win? That they went from negative 10, I mean, if, if you have a neighbor, and perhaps they're not mad at church, they don't hate Christians, but they just don't see what it has to do with them, they don't really have any concern about it, maybe we would designate that a negative four, like they're not mad at church, they're not angry, but they decide to come to Carol's and Coco at Christmas time, and suddenly they warm up to the idea of coming to church, and they go from a negative four to a negative two. Now, they haven't made that all-important decision to follow Jesus, but it's progression, that's a win, right? I mean, we can also look at the other side of that zero and we can say if, if somebody is a new Christian and they're kind of at one and then they make the steps to sort of go through learning to follow Jesus or they get in a group or something like, and they sort of suddenly go from a one to a four, it is a win, right? Consider this scale. We, we celebrate when people get to zero and that's right and it's appropriate. But I want to see that part of our mission and part of our ministry and part of Living Beyond Sunday is celebrating when people go from negative seven to a negative six. When people suddenly start opening their hearts a little bit and they suddenly start ready to ask a few more questions about, well, hold on, what is this? Tell me a bit more about God. I was trying to think of sometimes I've kind of seen this in action in my life. And um, when I was in Australia at Bible College, I worked in a coffee shop. And in the coffee shop, I tried to just have fun with the other guys that I worked with and try to be a good employee. And they all knew why I was there. And they knew I was a Bible College student. And I had hopes and dreams of being a pastor one day. And one day, I'm just minding my business. It was a quiet moment. I think the store was shut. And so we're just kind of like closing down for the night. And I'm sweeping the floor. And the kid next to me who's wiping something down, he just looks at me and goes, Hey, Tom. What's speaking in tongues all about? I was like, I am not prepared for this question right now. <laughs> well, I'm gonna try my best. There was another time, another coffee shop, this time in New York City. I was working and uh, there was a guy I worked with and he wanted nothing to do with church and he made fun of me and he thought it was hilarious to make fun of me, all that, whatever. I'm just gonna keep being nice, keep trying to build a friendship. And then his brother got real sick. And he sort of quietly pulls me to one side and he's like, hey, uh, can you please pray for my brother? In Montana, this time Megan was the one that worked at a coffee shop. 
And Megan's working in a coffee shop, and I just got friendly with the young guys that she worked with. And I was working across the street at a supermarket, and I just made some friends with the young guys that sort of packed the groceries and loaded them in people's cars and stuff. And next thing I know, I got a Bible study going, and there's like eight of these teenage kids. It's beyond Sunday. Now, the reason I use those examples is that this, these all happened years before I was ever on staff at a church. This is just times where I just remembered like just living there and just wanting people to find Jesus, wanting people to get to zero and beyond. Now, some of these stories, they've got endings where some of them did go on to have faith in Jesus, become Christians, become mature believers that are doing great in their faith today. Others I've lost touch with and I have no idea and I hope that something good has happened. But my friends, this is the kind of thing that can happen when you have that care and concern for these are the people in my life right now. This is where life has me. And I'm going to show the care and concern and love of God to anyone and everyone I come across. Romans 8, uh, sorry, Romans 10, verse 14. How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Remember the words from Christopher Wright, we're not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. We're all called to help people move up that scale. I love that in our church, the mission statement that we have, it says that we are leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. That word leading really speaks to me. If you're a part of our church, you're signing up to lead others. You're signing up to point people to Jesus so they can enjoy living in that restored and reconciled relationship with him. The mission that God has called churches to all over the world to fulfill, it makes no promise of fame or glory, but there is the promise of changed lives. We are not striving for the world's definition of success. The world is using a different measurement for success. And here's my favorite verse from the Bible on the subject of leadership. But Jesus called them together, talking about his disciples. And he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. This is how the world does it. They're all scrambling for power and authority and the perks. But among you, those of you believers committed to ministry, among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. A phrase I want to put to you is that the most any believer should hope for is middle management. The most any believer should hope for is middle management. This is God's church, and he's in charge. Even in our human structure and org charts, we all have a boss. Megan and I, we may be the lead pastors, but we submit to the elders and trustees. The whole church has willingly submitted to the assemblies of God. No one is on top. We are all middle management. But it's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' church, and we're building and establishing his kingdom. The church is continuing the work Jesus initiated and was propelled into action when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. The idea of using ministry to achieve fame and glory doesn't match the example laid out in the Bible. Paul writes about shipwrecks, jail, and beatings, not private jets, mansions, and pats on the back. 
The idea of attaining position or title and that being the goal is strange and it doesn't match the example of Jesus or the earliest church leaders. There are a handful of companies in the United States. I don't know if I was gonna guess, I'd say maybe seven, eight companies that I know the name of the CEO, but I couldn't name a single junior vice president. The goal of ministry is only his fame and his glory. If you're following the Bible plan for the New Testament with us, it was about a week and a half ago now that we read Mark 11. And that's where Jesus sends some of the disciples to go and untie a donkey for him. It wasn't so that they could have a donkey, but it was for him and his purposes. And we're all still just looking for ways to fulfill the master's call. It's to help people accept his invitation to find rest for their souls and eternal life. Middle managers make a difference. They keep things moving, but they're not the hero. They put their boss's plan into action. For us, it's remembering that it's his mission, his plan, and it's all for his glory. Another thought I want to put to you is that the least any believer should settle for is middle management. We are all called to make a positive difference. We are all called to lead the way for others. Saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to his mission. How we fulfill the mission may vary, but we're all included in advancing the kingdom. And if we don't take on the charge to lead and influence and make a difference, we are not taking our place in the mission. This is not about position and titles, this is a mindset. The Bible teaches to be slow in appointing leadership responsibilities and warns against promoting people too quickly. But everyone can make a difference at every point of their journey. The woman at the well, the moment she met Jesus, she ran and told others about him. Matthew, the moment he met Jesus, he left his tax collector booth to follow him and then hosted a banquet so all the other social outcasts could meet him. When Paul and Silas met a lady called Lydia, she came to faith and then instantly opened up her home to host the apostles so they could start a new church. That's leading, and that's the kind of middle management thinking that I'm talking about. It's all about having the care and concern for others so they can find rest for their souls and it's taking the responsibility to do something about it. We're all called to make a difference, both in and out of a church environment. The most any believer should hope for is middle management. The least any believer should settle for is middle management. As we're considering the word ministry and the way we use it in the modern church context, it's important to remember, church, we're here for you. We're here for you. This verse again that I can't shake off. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. This is not, come to me just as long as you're not following me yet. Come to me as long as you're not a church member. No, this is an invitation to all who carry heavy burdens and he will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The ministry of reconciliation, the chance to repair our broken relationship with God, it, it addresses our deepest needs. And I've read this verse a lot to the church lately, but it's an invitation that is still open to you. And it's open to you if you're following him or not. Do you need rest for your soul? Do you need rest for your soul? Believers, people committed to following Jesus. Do you need rest for your soul? So much of 
today's message has been a reminder that as followers of Jesus, we're here to minister to others. We do this, we're busy, we're active with ministry because of this ministry of reconciliation that we're called to. But my friends, we're here for you. When we're talking about people or others, as we talk about this definition of ministry, it includes you. You may have been a follower of Jesus for decades, or you may be new to faith, or you may want nothing to do with God, but we want to be here and minister to you. We don't want you to struggle and hurt through life. We don't want to see the hardships that will inevitably face you to crush you. You might love God and know He loves you, but still, in the very worst time of your life, we want to help. As a church staff and as a church leadership, it's deeply upsetting and frustrating when we can't help as much as we would like. We're constantly thinking and brainstorming and asking ourselves, what are the ways that we're not currently helping that maybe we could? A verse I want to share with you with this thought from 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing specifically around taking up a financial offering, but I think the principle applies even beyond giving. Right now, you have plenty. Right now, life is going well for you. Right now, you're in a good season. And right now, because life's in a good season, you can help those who are in need. Later on, the tables will turn. Later on, life circumstances change. They will have plenty. They'll be doing okay. They'll be in a good season of life. And they can share with you when you're feeling knocked down by life. In this way, all things will be equal. That's what Paul is teaching the church. There's a time where we minister and we dig deep and we sacrifice and we do what needs to be done. And we come and we try to bring relief and we try to help people find reconciliation in their relationship with God. We try to help believers through hardships of life. We try to help each and every way that we can. And when it's time for us to receive help, my friends, we want to be here for you. Why do we do any of this? Why are we busy and active with ministry? We're called to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. We want to help people find rest for their souls because they can come to Jesus and they are invited to come to Jesus. This is a call and a responsibility for all believers to see ministry as beyond Sunday and to see ministry as being in every room they find themselves. There are endless opportunities to show the love and goodness of God. And this is a responsibility. Saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to the mission. Helping people move somewhere up the scale is one of life's great joys. Caring about people means caring about what Jesus cares about. And church, please remember, we're here for you. Maybe it's a season where you're able to help, or maybe you're in a season where it's time for us to help you, but we are here for you. Let me 2 Corinthians 5 again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is a gift from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Ministry is the activity of believers that helps people live in a restored relationship with God and serving others so they can endure the hardships of life. A couple of... I have a couple of questions for you. Hopefully something to think about this week and maybe take the challenge. But the first thing, how can you help people find reconciliation with God beyond Sunday? 
How can you help people find reconciliation with God beyond Sunday? And the second question, have you accepted middle management? Have you accepted middle management? Either to check our ego and curb our ambitions within ministry, and for us to be okay that the goal should never be prestige or having our name in lights or anything, but it's all about Jesus. It's part of being middle management, but also that it's right to see ourselves as having the call and responsibility to make a difference, to have a positive impact in the lives of others, to help lead people and direct people and impact people positively. It's that middle management. Have you accepted middle management? I invite everyone to stand with me. I'm gonna read another verse. And then we're going to go back into a time of worship. Romans 10, starting in verse 9. We've read part of this passage already today. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, Anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? How can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? How can they hear about him? How can people know about this ministry of reconciliation? How can people know that they don't have to wander through life hopeless and broken and hurt and alone and lost? People don't have to struggle and limp and go by with no sense of peace, no sense of care, no sense of attachment, no sense of purpose. But how can they hear unless someone tells them? I want to invite the prayer team to come down and I want to ask everyone just to bow your heads for a moment. This is just to have a moment where we focus on what really matters right now. But as we're talking about ministry, as we're talking about the activity of the church, if you're ready, and I'm not going to call anyone forward or make you do something that you don't want to do, but if you would say, you know, your response to that message is, you know what, I want to make a commitment just from between myself and God that yes, I want to take ministry seriously. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to help people reconcile in that relationship with God. I don't want to watch people drift through life hopeless and aimless and hard-hearted and closed-minded anymore. I want to see people find life. And if you want to make that fresh commitment today, that decision of yes, I want to be active in ministry. I want to look at ministry as beyond Sunday. With everyone's eyes closed, just give some privacy and discretion to everybody. Could you just put your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for? Amen. Thank you. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. Amen. Anybody else here? Thank you. Come on. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to come down front or anything. I just, if this is you, I'd love to pray for you. Lord, you see every single hand here. You know what this decision means. You know the plans you've got in front of people. You know the different ways you want to use their life. You know the people they see each and every day. Lord, you know the hurts, the concerns, the fears, the struggle that they encounter and the people around them. And you know how to bring a word through them. You know how to give them the right thing to say at the right time. You know, Lord, that as you work in their hearts and their minds and you create the kind of life that honors you, what that's going to speak to people. 
Lord, I pray that a year from now, the people that raised their hands this morning, that they would be able to point to story after story of people coming to have a life-changing moment with you. Lord, that we would hear about people coming to zero in Jesus' name and making that decision to follow you. We would hear about you using people in this room to help mature believers go even deeper in their relationship with you. Lord, the people that are angry at the church and they're against the church and are working overtime to undermine the ministry of the church, Lord, use the people in this room to warm them up so they'd be receptive to hearing the gospel of Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Lord, move through the lives of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Amen.